Are you in search of a closer relationship with Jesus Christ and a better understanding of the basic truths of Christian faith? If so, please join us for Simple Secrets of the Kingdom, a series of Bible studies developed by Reverend James Otterness and taught by Skip Hedgepeth, board member of Good News Ministries and Bible teacher at Christ Church in Midland, Texas. Hi, I'm Skip Hedgepeth, member of the board of directors of Good News Ministries and also a Bible teacher at Christ Church Midland. About 20 years ago, I was uh, watching TV on a Sunday morning and came across this program called Simple Secrets of the Kingdom, and it was taught by Reverend James Otterness. And one of the things that caught my attention about this program was that uh, Pastor Otterness has a way of teaching the scriptures in this program that is really simple to understand. And he takes the words right out of the scripture and brings them to light so that when he draws his conclusions, it's not just what his opinion is, but it was what the Word of God says. And he would make the Word of God meet me right in my everyday life. And so it's my great privilege to be here to, uh, to share this same uh, ministry with you and to have a conversation with you from the Word of God about the simple secrets of the kingdom. And this is basically a simple uh, Bible study about the uh, element, elementary truths of the Christian faith. And so one of the things that people ask me as a Bible teacher is, where do you start when you're going to start a Bible study? Uh, what would be the most important things of the Christian faith? And, and uh, where would you get started? And what I would simply say is that let's look at the Word of God and see what the Word of God itself says is the mo are the most important things of the Christian faith. And to do that, uh, we're going to go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But right before I read... Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word and for the way that you uh, feed us with the word and strengthen us and renew us every day. And Lord, as we uh, enter into this conversation with, uh, today with, through the scriptures with you, I pray that uh, you would enlighten our hearts and draw us closer to you so that we may be the people that you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start with the most important parts of the Christian faith as told to us by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15 chapter 1, verse 1, I mean. Now I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I pre preached, the gospel, preached to you the gospel, by which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast, unless you believe in vain. And so uh, the first the first thing that the Apostle Paul wants us to know is that uh, he had preached this gospel message to the people in Corinth. And he says that they received from him what he first proclaimed. And that means that uh, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel and the people there were receptive to it. And so they received the good news and responded to it, the good news about Jesus Christ. And he says, and also in that good news, they now stand. And so they're making their stand in their everyday life on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us in another place, he says that, uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so you see the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not only just good news, which is what the word gospel means, it's also, it's also power. It is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. And so uh, when the people in Corinth first received the good news, 
they received it, and then they received the power also to believe. And so uh, from there, he goes on. And so I want to go on and read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, verse 3, and I'll read through verse 11. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried... He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. Whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So the Apostle Paul starts out by saying that he delivered the things that were of first importance to the church there in Corinth. And the things that were of first importance were, first of all, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And so this is important, uh, maybe most of all, because, because of the death of Christ on the cross, then today we have forgiveness of sins. Jesus' blood paid the price for our sin so that through faith in him, we could have our sins forgiven. And to me, that is so much good news because as a, as a Christian now, I know that because I believe the Lord has removed my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. He says, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. So on the day when I stand before the Lord uh, on judgment day, that's good news to me because the sins that I've committed in this life, sins against the Lord and against the scripture, uh, will be remembered no more. Through faith in Jesus, it's as though I never even sinned. My sin is so far removed because of what Jesus has done for me. Through his death, our sins are forgiven. And that's good news for me, and I know it's good news for you too. Second of all, uh, says that the good news is that he was buried. Now, you may wonder how this could be good news, but... Uh, I think this is great because the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ begins in the cemetery of all places. And, uh, and one, of my, uh, one of the things I do in my life is I am a, a, a chaplain and a social worker for a hospice company. And uh, I have been at many, many gravesides in my life uh, conducting funerals for dear saints of the Lord Jesus who have gone on to be with him. And to me, the gospel is there's hardly ever a more powerful setting than to be standing there in that open grave and know that because Jesus was buried, because he died and was buried, then for me, uh, that cemetery, that graveyard is not going to be my final resting place, you see. Because Jesus was buried, then I too now am going to have power over the cemetery one of these days. And when I die, that place in the ground, even though my body will be there, I won't be there because 
I'll be away from my body and at home with the Lord. And that's good news. One of the most important aspects of the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus, by his death and burial, has given us power over the grave. And now, uh, the third part is that he was raised on the third day, also, it says, in accordance with the scriptures. And so, this is good news about the resurrection. And uh, uh, what this tells me, and the reason this is good news for me, is that it tells me that one day I will, uh, I, like Jesus, am going to be resurrected, and that means I'll have a new body to live in the new creation, which is to come. And I don't know about you, but the older that I get, the more I look forward to getting a new body. Because back in my youth, I could, uh, I could bend over and touch my toes, and I could do it with ease. But now, uh, whenever I bend over, even to pick something up, the, off, up off of the floor, uh, I kind of grunt and groan. And, uh, and another thing I'm looking forward to in getting a new body is that uh, I've had some kidney problems in my life. And uh, I look forward to the resurrection because I know that one of these days, because of the resurrection of Jesus, I'll be resurrected also, and I'll get a new body that's completely whole. And it's like I'll trade in this old worn-out body on a new and better model, one that's not going to uh, crumble and fall apart with age. Uh, instead, it's going to be one that works perfectly, and it's going to be built to last for eternity. And so I'm excited about that. And that's also the third aspect of the good news, uh, that the news that is of most importance in the gospel. And then the fourth thing is that uh, the Apostle Paul tells the, the people in Corinth that were the most important. He says, Jesus appeared, and he appeared, uh, first of all, uh, to Cephas, who is Peter. He appeared to the twelve, who are the disciples. He appeared then to more than 500 brethren, to James, to all the apostles, and then finally to Saul, who later became Paul. And the good news of Jesus' appearance is that uh, Jesus loves us and loved the, the disciples and the people who were there at his death so much that he wanted them to have evidence of his resurrection so that they wouldn't just have to go on what they thought or what they might believe, but that there was physical evidence to the resurrection. Jesus appeared after his, after his resurrection. He appeared in person to Cephas and to the twelve. And there's this wonderful scene after Jesus resurrected in the scriptures where, where Jesus appears in a room and he appears to the disciple Peter, I mean, I mean Thomas. And, uh, and Thomas uh, had told the disciples before that unless he saw the nail prints in Jesus's hand and touched the side uh, where he was uh, where he was speared, that um, he wasn't going to believe unless he could have that physical touch. And so Jesus appears in the upper room with Thomas, and uh, and he says to him, "Here, touch my hands and touch my side." And so he gave evidence to his resurrection. And when Thomas touched and saw the evidence was real, he said, my Lord and my God. And so the Lord loves us so much that he, he uh, wants us to have evidence about his resurrection. And this reminds me one time when I was, uh, uh, was visiting with a young man, very young teenager, 
And we were talking, and he said, you're one of those Christians, aren't you? And I said, well, I, I sure am a Christian. And he said, well, I'm not. And uh, I don't believe in that th- kind of, sort of thing. Instead, I believe in science. I need to have that empirical, physical proof before I believe. And I said, okay, so you believe in science, then how about gravity? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, how do you know that gravity is real? He says, well, uh, it's a fact of science, and, and I, I know that if I hold this pencil up and I drop it to the ground, then it's going to fall to the earth. And that's physical proof that there's gravity. And I said, so you can't really see gravity, but you know it's real because of what it does? And he said, that's right. And I said, well, let me tell you about Jesus. And, um, and so I told him a story about uh, being at the bedside of a person who was healed. And I told him the story and what had happened. And the more I talked, the bigger his eyes got. And the point of the story was that there's evidence that Jesus is alive. There's evidence that we can see and touch with our hands. And to me, there's no greater evidence than the fact that uh, I'm sitting here today before you sharing the Word of God with you. Because I know the way that I was back when I was a teenager. And when I was a teen, I like to describe my life as kind of like a stray dog. Uh, I was led around by my senses and followed whatever my eyes would see or my senses would smell. Or, and, uh, and so I would go from place to place, never really lighting on anything, never really any real direction or purpose for my life. And then one day in college, I was working in a music store. And the people that I was working for were uh, wonderful people, but they talked about Jesus all the time, and that made me uncomfortable. And one day, their pastor came in to the music store where I was working in, and he came in, and he was kind of like a caricature of what you might think an old Southern pastor would be. He was not very tall. He was about five foot nine, and he had white hair that was kind of combed back, and uh, this was in the 70s, so he had a leisure suit. I'm sure some of you all remember leisure suits and a white belt with white shoes. And whenever he came into the store, I would, uh, I would go to the back or try to hide somewhere so that he wouldn't find me because it made me so uncomfortable. And then one day he came in and I didn't see him come in and he kind of got me in a corner. And, uh, and he came up to me and he said, Skip, do you know Jesus as your personal savior? And um, I was kind of stunned. And so I did what maybe any 19-year-old boy might do when he's trapped in a corner like that. I lied. And I told him, uh, I sure do know Jesus. And he said, uh, well, isn't it great? And I said, it's, it sure is. And, uh, and then after that day, he kind of left me alone in some ways. But in other ways, his question to me kept, kept ringing around in my heart and in my mind until many years later, actually not that many, it was about four years later, uh, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart to be my savior, to forgive me of my sins. And because he did, uh, I know today that I'm no longer like a stray dog. I have purpose and meaning in my life and I'm not just led around by my senses any longer. I'm led around by the Lord of life, by the God of the universe. And it's my purpose in life 
to do his will uh, with his help. And so my point of telling you that story is to let you know that I'm living evidence that Jesus is who he says he is and that he is alive and risen from the dead because, uh, because I'm living proof. So uh, there's good news about, uh, about Jesus dying for the forgiveness of our sins. There's good news about the cemetery. There's good news about the resurrection. And there's also good news about uh, Jesus appearing, that faith comes with evidence. And one of the things that is very evident in all of this is that of all the things that are considered good news, the, the most important elements of good news by the Apostle Paul, of all of those things, if you'll notice, every one of them, are, uh, are the action in them comes from God down to us. The good news is not just about what we do for God. In fact, that's not the good news at all. The good news has to do with, God, with what God does for us through faith in Jesus. And uh, the good news is always about God's action, not our action. And so I have a little illustration that I want to use to make this point. And it's, it's based on this little rubber ball. Now, a rubber ball here, uh, a rubber ball was really made, it was created for one reason. And that reason is simply to bounce. And so if I take that ball and set it on the desk here, if it'll sit, there it is. If I take it and sit it on the desk and I say to that ball, bounce, nothing happens, you see. And so I could talk louder to the ball and say, bounce right now. You were created to bounce, and so I expect you to bounce right now. Nothing would happen. You see, the ball, even though it was created to bounce, is uh, it's not going to bounce unless somehow it is lifted up from the place that it is and given the power to bounce. And so if the ball is lifted up and then empowered through me, then it gets the power to do what it was created to do. It can't do it on its own. It has to be lifted up. And when it does, it'll bounce. And then it becomes fully a ball because it's, it's able to do what it was created to do. Now, in many ways, we're like that ball. You see, we were created to be in a relationship with the Lord. But because of our sin, sin holds us down. And it keeps us from being able to do what we were created to do, from being uh, able to be fully who, we're, who we were created to be. And so in order for us to be who God has created us to be, we somehow have to get power and be lifted up and then empowered to be who we're called to be. And so when Jesus comes to me through the word of God and he stirs up faith in my heart and lifts me up, then I am able to be who he wants me to be. But only through his help can I be empowered to be who he calls me to be? And so the good news is about, is about what Jesus has done and what Jesus does for us. And so the next thing that I want to make a, a point of about, about this first section of the scripture is that, uh, is that in two different places, the Apostle Paul says that these things that Jesus done, 
that Jesus did were done according to the scripture. And that just simply means that it was foretold ahead of time that uh, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, that Jesus would uh, be born of a virgin, that Jesus would be uh, crucified on a cross and resurrected on the third day. And all of these things were told ahead of time. That's further proof. You see, they were told, foretold even all the way back to the book of Genesis. There's prophecy about Jesus coming and dying on a cross. Even uh, 3,000 years before the event happened. Further evidence that Jesus is who he says that he is. And then, uh, and then finally, uh, in summary, uh, Jesus, uh, his... His work on the cross, his death on the cross, rather, his burial and his resurrection, in summary, are all acts of good news that he's done for us. And by his work, then we are able to be who he calls us to be. Now, let's get a little bit more here into the scripture and go to 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll read a little bit more and, um, uh, from verse 12. And in this, we're going to see that the, the linchpin, the whole, uh, the whole religion of Christianity is based on this fact of the resurrection. Whether or not the resurrection is true depends upon, uh, determines whether or not Christianity is true. And this is what the apostle says, starting in, in chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached, uh, preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that apparently there were some of them during this day that were questioning whether or not the resurrection was real. And, and so he says, how can you say there is no resurrection? Uh, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus has not been raised. And if Jesus has not been raised, then all of that evidence that we just talked about would be false. And he goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, and we are found to be misrepresenting God. Now, if, uh, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then uh, the church has been perpetrating one of the greatest deceptions in the history of the world. And all the people, including you, who come and listen to Bible studies and go to church to worship every week, you are being deceived, and you're just basically wasting your time. And that's if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. He goes on to say, uh, your faith is in vain, which further develops the point, and he says, we are found to be misrepresenting God. And so I'm here today talking to you uh, as a Bible study teacher, and if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then I am a, uh, a person who's misrepresenting God and misrepresenting the truth of the Scripture. And uh, 
Then he goes on to say a little bit more. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And the news then, if, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, the news gets really worse. Um, the news then becomes your faith is futile. Then all the hope that you have about, about a life in the future, a hope about being with your loved ones who have gone on before you, uh, a hope about having your sins forgiven. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then none of that is true. Uh, you're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ uh, have perished, he says. And so if the truth of the resurrection isn't real, then all that means is that uh, the people who have died are just dead. They're dead and, uh, and, and that there's no hope for them, that with the end of life comes, which it comes for all of us at one time or another, then what happens then at the end of life is that you just close your eyes or the curtain is drawn over you and, and you're done. And all of that is what happens if the resurrection is, isn't true. Uh, and then Paul goes on to say, then if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. And so if our hope in Jesus is only for our living in this life, if that we just hope for, to help him while we're alive and then we have no hope in, uh, in death, then uh, we're of, of, of all people most to be pitied because this life, even though it may not seem to you today, uh, this life is only a mere whisper. Uh, it's only a fraction of a second compared to the time that we're all going to spend in eternity. And so if we just hope in Jesus for this little fraction of a time, then we are of all people most to be pitied because our hope in him is uh, based on his resurrection, but it's also not only for this life, but for the life to come. You see, whoever believes in him, John tells us, uh, has eternal life. And so eternal life doesn't just begin at the moment that you die and go to be with him. Eternal life then begins uh, at the moment you believe. And because of that, uh, and because of the truth of that, we have hope to live in this life. And when the hope shows up in many different ways, it's evident in different ways, in the sense that uh, not only for myself, but I look at my, my dad who has gone on to be in heaven, and I have a little sister that was stillborn that I never knew. One of these days, my hope uh, through faith in Jesus and through his resurrection, my hope is that uh, I will be reunited with them in heaven around the banquet table of Christ. And uh, to me, that's one of the things that makes the next life to me uh, so exciting and so appealing is to know that this life is not all there is. There's so much more to come. And uh, in, in the scripture, it also says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived even what God has prepared for those who love him. And so what's uh, still to come is the best we learn from the scripture. And so I'm going to read just a little bit more. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Sorry. Uh, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. 
but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies at his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so, uh, so Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead. And he is the, uh, the first fruits. That means he is the first one to be raised from the dead. And all of those here uh, who are left, who believe in him, will one day also be the fruit of the kingdom of God, who will go to heaven to be with him. And so uh, that's the good news and the things that are of first importance of, uh, that the Apostle Paul shares with us in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And the most important thing to remember of, of all of this is that the good news of the gospel is not what you do for Christ, but what Christ does for you. And, uh, and the bad news would be anytime you hear somebody say, here's what you have to do in order to be loved for God, by God, uh, that's bad news, and don't listen to it. Instead, listen to the good news. Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. Thank you very much. Goodbye. If you have a prayer request or questions about any of the material covered in today's lesson or would like to support the program with a contribution, contact us by email at simplesecrets at goodnewsministries.org or by mail at P.O. Box 3315, Midland, Texas 79702. Until next time, thank you for sharing the simple secrets of the kingdom.